Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, Episode 9, Falstorn. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want it to continue, then please sign up for membership. You can do that by going to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and clicking on the PayPal subscription button. It only costs $5 a month. What can I say? I have a flair for the dramatic. This is my way of saying that I'm sorry for pulling a marvel on you, an Iron Man 3, so to speak. You know, a false ending. Jamestown wasn't going to be abandoned just yet. All the stuff I said that happened at the end of last episode was true, but what I didn't say was that when Gates set sail down the James, he almost immediately met a longboat. It was the advance party for Lord Delaware. Lord Delaware had been delayed for half a year raising funds, something which had proved more difficult than expected following the loss of the sea venture. But Peep finally set off with three ships and 150 settlers from Portsmouth on April 11th, 1610, and he arrived in Virginia in early June. Gates was told to go back to Jamestown and prepare the colony for the arrival of Delaware, much to the unhappiness of the colonists, who thought they'd finally escaped this hellhole. Considering before Gates arrived, Jamestown was in anarchy with only 60 inhabitants, this was a startling turnaround. They finally had competent leaders, their numbers were up to 375, and perhaps most importantly, Delaware brought with him a year's supply of food. The starving time was over. Delaware's primary concern was breaking the men out of their idleness, which had destroyed the colony during Smith's tenure. You'll recall how men were starving, but refused to do anything to solve the problem, such as farming. Delaware would fix this by installing proper military values, He established a real government. Gates would be his second-in-command, the lieutenant-general. Sir Ferdinando Wayneman would be his master of ordnance. Strachey would be the secretary, and Percy would be the captain of Jamestown. Together with his Admiral Somers and Newport, this would form his governing council. In addition, Percy, Samuel Argyle, Thomas Holcroft... Thomas Lawson, and George Yeardley, remember that name, Yeardley, would each command 50-man militias. The laws brought by Gates, known as the Laws Divine, Moral, and Martial, were maintained. They were harsh and strict, but this was necessary, or so the commanders felt, given their experiences on the continent. The infrastructure was rebuilt, and Delaware sets to work making the colony sustainable. He had supplies for now, but that didn't mean they would have supplies next year. The sturgeon didn't appear in the river as they usually did at this time of year, which compounded the problems of the Powhatans refusing to trade, and the loss of all their livestock during the previous winter. Delaware sent Somers and Argyle back to Bermuda to collect six months of supplies, including some hogs to re-establish the livestock. However, they wouldn't make it to Bermuda, and instead went fishing off the coast of New England. As Jamestown emerged from the ashes, 
it was infinitely better than the version of itself it replaced. The buildings were far more suited to the climate, and while not comfortable, Jamestown was becoming livable. I hope that it is coming across that, in the narrative, it feels as though there is a planet work here. Under Wingfield, Radcliffe and Smith, the colony had been lurching from one disaster to the next, but this, it feels a lot more organised, as though things were finally beginning to come good. Though, as we shall soon see, it was just a false dawn. Delaware next sets about repairing the relationship between the English and the Powhatans. It had deteriorated, but he didn't want to plunge into war just yet. If there was a chance he could fix things, he would take it. He sent messengers to Wahun Sonicock, asking for friendship, reminding him of the crowning, and wanting vengeance for the attack on Jamestown. Wahun Sonicock was not in the mood for this, not one bit. It was his land, not theirs. They could stay at Jamestown, but they could not expand. They could not explore, and if they did, they would be attacked. He would also excuse Delaware this one time, but he should not send Englishmen to Werowokamoko without being invited, and if he did, he should at the very least bring gifts. Delaware felt the same way about the Powhatans. This was war. The move towards open warfare was probably influenced by an event in the summer of 1610. On an expedition into the Chesapeake, Gates witnessed one of his own men being killed by the Native Americans. Gates had previously adopted a peaceful approach, but this changed him. He wanted revenge. Shortly after, he attacked a group of Cacoftans. It would be the first of many such attacks by both sides. Gates would return to England on July 20th, 1610, but now they had started, the attacks continued. The Powhatans were no doubt offended by Delaware constructing two new forts at the mouth of the Southampton River, Charles and Henry. This may seem odd considering his initial commitment to peace, but just as Smith's attitudes changed, as he spent time in the country, so did those of Delaware. He realised that his moderate position wouldn't work. If Jamestown was to survive, it would need to be more aggressive. This was war, and it was now treated as such. These forts did not survive long, though. Delaware ordered them to be abandoned so the men could relocate at West's Fort up river. This could be a base for finding gold. This went wrong, though. Men were lost, and the position was soon abandoned without a proper exploration being launched. This was a return of the colony's old problems. You see, a false dawn. Delaware had been in Jamestown six months, and through a combination of disease and war, he had lost a third of the settlers. This wore down on his ability to lead, and soon the men grew unhappy. He grew ill, and in late March 1611, he sailed to Nevis in the Caribbean to recuperate, giving Percy command of the colony. Even this went wrong. Rather than making it to the Caribbean, winds blew him wildly off course, and he wound up on the other side of the Atlantic in the Azores. From here, he returns to England, incredibly embarrassed. He had to report to the colony that everything was going well. 
he overplayed the things which had gone well and he didn't mention the sickness. The usual lies, and it wasn't very convincing. This could easily have killed Jamestown, were it not for Gates. Gates had returned to London in 1610, and he had spread word of how the sea venture had survived, of how Jamestown had been reborn, and enthusiasm for the venture returned. Gates had been busy preparing a new venture across the Atlantic to be led by himself and Sir Thomas Dale, who had been in service on the continent. Dale set sail in March 1611 with a year's worth of supplies and 300 settlers. He arrived eight weeks later, ten days after Delaware had departed. With Somers and Delaware absent, Dale assumed command of the colony. His immediate concerns were very similar to those of Delaware, making the colony self-sufficient. His arrival had upped the number of settlers from 170 to almost 500. Gates would soon be arriving with even more mouths to feed. Dale immediately set about restoring forts Charles and Henry, since they were surrounded by good farmland. The land was cleared and crops were planted. He also worked on improving their administration by promoting Captain James Davis, who had been in command of Fort Algernon, to the taskmaster of all three forts. The other big problem was discipline. Of the 300 settlers he had brought with him, Dale estimated that only 60 were of any use, and he was forced to expand the harshness of the law code. The fort was rebuilt, and more buildings were added, such as a stable, a new well, stores for weapons, a sturgeon house for dealing fish, and even private gardens. This was part of a wider specialisation programme. Forts Charles and Henry would grow corn, while Fort Algernon and Jamestown would raise livestock and produce goods for export. He also had plans for moving the major settlement upriver, a process he felt was all the more urgent when a Spanish ship on a reconnaissance mission arrived and managed to capture one of the settlers. Although the English managed to capture one of the Spanish too, one Don Diego de Molina. In August, Dale was terrified when he heard reports of more ships arriving, thinking that it was the Spanish coming to destroy them. But it turned out it was only Gates, with 300 colonists and supplies. This was the sickly period, and with now 750 settlers and fear of Spanish attack, it was decided they needed to push upriver now, and found a new settlement to replace Jamestown as the capital. 350 settlers, mostly artisans, were handpicked for this adventure. They were continually attacked by Wahon Sonnecock, who recognised the danger this particular venture meant, but by December, they had constructed a town which they named Henrico, in honour of Henry, the Prince of Wales. Unlike earlier attempts at founding a settlement upriver, Henrico, located only a few miles away from the modern capital of Virginia, Richmond, would survive longer than a few months, and it would see the English really begin to establish themselves along the James River. Now... What follows may seem a bit odd, considering we've been following a pretty detailed narrative since the first expedition to Jamestown set off in December 1606. Heck, we've spent a good eight episodes 
covering the year since then. But I now run into a little bit of a problem where I don't have much information for what happens until 1613. Most histories of America or Virginia give very scant treatment of these early years, but I've managed to find enough information to put these episodes together. Then, following the decision to establish Henrico in mid-1611, I don't have anything from which I can form a narrative for about two years. I assume this is because not much of interest was going on, so rather than just jumping into 1613, which we'll cover next time, I'm going to give a very vague picture of what was going on. Gates was the person in command in Virginia during these years, and the colony was beginning to look after itself. The founding of Enrico was a turning point, and now the English had five strongholds. The towns of Jamestown and Enrico, and the forts of Henry, Charles, and Algernon. There was near-constant warfare with the Powhatans, no open battles, but plenty of raiding. Argyle formed friendly relationships with some of the tribes along the Potomac River to the north, and conducted plenty of trading missions. John Rolfe, in 1612, did something of huge importance by planting the first crop of tobacco. Tobacco is very easy to grow, and it would really take off, but we'll have a lot more to say on tobacco as we go on. Back in England, the company was struggling to find funds. One of its chief backers, Henry, the Prince of Wales, died in November 1612. The company started a lottery to try and raise funds. Diplomatic things continued with the Spanish over prisoners that had been taken during the 1611 reconnaissance mission without really going anywhere, and there was always the looming threat of an actual invasion. There, that's just about everything. We'll pick up the story in April 1613 next time. I'm quite sorry to say that this episode is a bit of a sign of things to come for the next few episodes, the last bit skipping over these years. You see, with histories of the United States, most like to focus on, you know, the United States bit. There is treatment of the colonial era, but most of that focuses on post-1700. There's the initial flurry of excitement with the founding of the first settlements, such as Jamestown, and we'll find the same thing when we set up New England. But following that, it's going to be a lot vaguer. In about 10 episodes' time, we'll begin to have episodes which just take a blanket look over 10 years or so, like one which is just Virginia in the 1630s. I just want to emphasise that that will be a little bit of a rough patch, but we will get through it, and there is plenty of information to get to once we get beyond about 1700. Then we can get properly into colonial life. We just need to set up the colonies first. But that's all for the future. If you've enjoyed today's episode, remember that you can find more about it online at thehistoryofpodcast.com, where you can sign up for membership. It only costs $5 a month. Just click on the PayPal subscription button. You can also like the show on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, and follow me on Twitter at HistoryJamie. You can send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 